Hello and welcome back to the Sanderlanch podcast. I'm Jamie and with me is Jack, Dita, and Joe. And this week we are covering Mistborn Book 1, The Final Empire, chapters 14 to 17. Um, in these chapters, we finally get an up-close look at Credit Shaw and the troubles that are waiting for Kelsier and Vin. We almost lose Vin in a terrifying encounter with the Steel Inquisitors. Sazed uh, finds and translates what appears to be the Lord Ruler's diary from pre-Ascension times. Vin is bored while healing from her injuries. <laughs> And we learn a little bit about the powers of the Keepers and the Lord Ruler himself. Uh, there's a lot to unpack here, so hold on to something. The Sandalanch is about to begin. Okay, guys, and uh, this was a lot of uh, a lot. This is more chapters than we read before, so I don't know if it felt longer to you guys than it actually was, uh, since they're shorter chapters. But what did you guys think overall of uh, these four chapters? Well, we jumped into things pretty pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't ready for a battle with the Inquisitors straight up. That was sort of surprising and, and shocking, and then. There wasn't really a lot of stuff that happened in the next three chapters, but we got lots of little bits of information, which were really cool. Mm. Yeah, there's. Uh, I mean, I don't. I don't think anyone imagined, as we kind of said last week, that it was everything was going to go great for uh, Vin and Kelsier uh, once they got in there, but it went really bad really fast. Also, these yeah. Inquisitors are just terrifying. <laughs> it went bad in a way I wasn't expecting. What were you expecting? I don't know what I was expecting, but Inquisitors was not that. Mm. Like when they when the, the the first one stepped out of the chamber, I'm just like, oh 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 shit. Yeah, and one is bad, and then you turn around and there's two more. Yeah. Yeah. So that it was it was just unexpected, and then the fact that they made it out at all. I mean, yeah, I figured they probably would, but I'm just like, I don't know quite what's going to happen here. I'm really surprised that Kelsey had made it out but we didn't find out how mm-hmm. in, the, in the chapters following. I thought, that's a little strange. I yeah. feel like that's not good. Um, but then there's also the fact that Sazed like, apparently took out an Inquisitor, although he says he didn't. So I'm like, okay, what actually happened? I, I want to know more about these Inquisitors, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll learn. Well, yeah, but I want it now. I want to read further <laughs> ahead, damn it. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I I think my favorite part about these chapters, I agree with Jamie. It's like we get all these little bits of information that just kind of make you think, ooh, that that uh, kind of gives credence to my theory, or oh, I need to know more about Terrasmen. Like it's just they really these chapters really just piqued my interest into the characters and their backgrounds even more. So it was it was good good reading. Yeah, it's not – I mean, I said last week that a lot kind of happens in these chapters. There's not a lot event-wise. Like, there's there's the big fight, and then it's kind of – nothing, like, big happens, but there's lots of stuff. And like you said, well, there's we, lots of little bits here and there. We, we jump from part two to part three. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, when, when we get to actually that moment, there's something I want to read. But let's, let's – I guess start at the beginning. And uh, this one starts with 
what I feel is kind of one of the strangest of the epigraphs we've had yet, where he's just it's like, sometimes I wonder if I'm going crazy. And, you know, I, I've done all this stuff. I, all the friends I've lost, the friends I've been forced to kill. That line stuck out at me a bit. I'm just like, oh, okay, this this is something we haven't really covered a lot. Yeah. Um, like, this guy's path to power has bodies littered across it and bodies that like of people he liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this is painting a really dark picture. <laughs> the funny thing is, when you say that, it what it reminds me of is there's a line in, uh, in the Dresden Files book, Changes, where Harry's just like, Martin, I have literally killed people I like better than you. <laughs> Finally up to changes. Uh, and then we get to the part where he's just like, I see shadows following me, dark creatures I don't understand nor wish to understand. Are they perhaps some figment of my overtaxed mind? So it's almost like we're reading uh, the ju- the journal of a guy who is slowly going insane here. Unless, you know, he's turned around and those are just mistwraiths coming up behind him. He's like, fuck's that? Oh, God. It's true. Whatever it is could actually be real. So we move into the chapter, and they're, they're picking up Kelsier's bag and kind of heading towards Critic Shaw, and it starts to rain, which I, Vin feels like is a mixed blessing here. And they're going for this room, and Vin's like, what's inside the room? And Kelsier's like, I don't know. Uh, the Lord Ruler goes there for three hours, once every three days, and then leaves. And we have no idea what he does or why he goes in there. And we find out that that's what Kelsier was doing when he got captured and sent to the pits was they were trying to break into this room because they assumed that the Lord Ruler must have something really awesome in there if he spends three hours every three days in there. This is where he keeps the hot tub. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, or a Lazarus pit. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And and this is the part of the chapter. This is the part of the story so far that kind of irks me. It's like. He's literally going to the place he was caught before and thinking, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll just be able to waltz right in here. It's no big deal. It mm-hmm. might be dangerous, but I'm Kelsier. It just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I, I, I disagree. I, I thought it was very fitting with his character. It's like he spent a whole bit of time admonishing Vin for her arrogance and just like you got these powers and now you think you know so much better and you can do these things you can't do and that is exactly what he does here he's like well i got caught last time but i wasn't a mistborn then or i didn't have the powers of a mistborn so maybe if i go in now with those powers i'm totally set because i'm a mistborn now he also made the point that he didn't actually plan it this time so no one could have betrayed him because no one knew what he was going to do Mm -hmm. so he thought maybe if if no one had the heads up that he was going to be there he'd be safer which obviously didn't work Right. Yeah, and it's 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 almost like it's almost like he's he's prying into this like somebody betrayed me last time. Who we find out in these chapters that the Jamie and Dax competing theory uh, that they were both trying to get out <laughs> first that it was his wife that that did it. That's what at least people think. And so it's almost like we got in with this big plan that last time and we only failed because she betrayed me or somebody betrayed me and we think it was her. Maybe if I can go this time, it will prove that right one way or the other, that if you really did betray me or not. That's how I've always felt about it, at least. I don't know if that if that's in the text or if that's just what I'm imposing on there. Well, that's it. If, you know, now he's gone and he hasn't told anyone this plan and they've still been caught, maybe that gives him some peace of mind that she didn't really betray him. And he says he didn't tell anybody. But then when Says shows up with Vin, 
or when Vin talks to Says later, I don't remember exactly when it comes in. He's like, oh, yeah, Kelsier told me what he was going to do. So I knew where to go when I discovered you missing. Uh, and so it's like, wait a second. So did he tell somebody <laughs> or did he not tell somebody? True. Uh, but you got to admit, it's 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 pretty tantalizing. Like, what is in this secret room that the Lord Ruler visits all the time? How do you even know that he visits this room? Like, do you have spies inside? the? Uh, that That part gets me. Also, like, that was information from the initial plan three years ago. Is it still the case, or has the Lord Ruler moved that room to somewhere else? Mm -hmm. And I also like, uh, when they're talking about it, and he's like, maybe the room holds the power, the secret to his immortality, and so on. And she's like, but why do you need to worry about that? You have the 11th medal, right? And he totally glosses over that. He's like, I failed to get in last time, Vin. We got close, but there were Inquisitors waiting for us. Which, hey, guess what happens again? (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's where they like sleep or something. So he just could, that that's the three hours that's the three hours that the Lord really goes and hangs out with the Inquisitors and parties with them. <laughs> yeah. That's like that's the, their house. That's where they chill. This, this is the Inquisitor's bunkhouse. Yeah. And I, I like the line where he's like, I guess I've been hanging out with Breeze too long. I just don't feel right unless someone tells me I'm crazy. And then we also find out Vin starts feeling something. He's like, oh, yeah, the, the Lord Ruler is like a super powerful soother and just smothers everybody's emotions when you get close. you got to turn on your copper. Which that's just thrown in there, but that's kind of... I mean, that makes sense. Personal, yeah, I mean, we know he's a powerful alamancer, right? So you're right, right. It makes sense. Yeah. But that's like something... He's apparently just constantly radiating this soothing, like chilling everyone out around him. Also, like, what kind of a supply of metal does he have? Does he just have, like, an IV drip full of the metals just attached to his arm? He's permanently walking around with it? Because, like, he's got to be burning through that shit really quickly. That's a great visual. He's actually, like, hooked up to IVs all the time. He walks around with, like, one of those... uh, uh, One of those those things on wheels that drips IV. (laughs) But also they talk about, like, flaring your metals for too long as well, and that has an effect on the body what the hell is this effect on him? So he's like being constantly wheeled his... around in a hospital gurney with the IV drip. <laughs> I was thinking maybe he was going more and more insane, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got the warning from Kelsey early on about, like, what flaring your metals a lot, like, that can mess you up. But we haven't really seen any example of that uh, and what, you know, exactly that could mean. We've kind of gotten hints, so... Yet. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you, you got to feel like it's going to come up at some point, right? They're not going to drop something like that into the text and be like, ah, we'll n- never bother showing that. No, God, no. I think at some point... I, I feel like initially my thought was at some point they're going to like go to, I don't know, maybe a hospital or something, and um, Kelsey's going to point and just go, yeah, that guy, too much copper, and he's like, yeah, just curled up in a, in a ball, his skin's gone all yellow or something. <laughs> but I don't know, maybe, maybe you get the feeling like it'll happen to someone in the middle of battle now. Like, you'll see it someone get too desperate, burn too much, and then they'll just go down in a heap. I don't know, I'm grasping at straws. Gotta keep our eyes out for what exactly that means. uh, Vin notes that, you know, the Lord Ruler's Palace has no sort of wall or anything around it, and then she's like, well, of course not. Who's gonna attack the Lord Ruler? They get very descriptive of Credit Shaw, which we haven't uh, had described real well before. There's no trees or anything around it. There's just, like, a collection of wings, towers, and spires, and you said it was on one of the coins, yeah? Yeah. So we've seen it, I guess. That's a good point. It, they just never described it before. Uh, yeah. And then Kelsier just straight up murders a couple dudes, standing guard outside. As he does. As he does, exactly. And then 
they move inside into like a room where the guards are sitting down eating or something. And he grabs a metal candelabrum and just begins to spin with it. Striking down soldier after soldier is the way it's described. I'm, I, I don't know how to picture that. If he's just like holding it and spinning and smacking people like a top, or if he's kind of doing what he was doing in that earlier fight where he's kind of like turning and pushing and pulling a thing back and forth and killing people with it. They don't bother to kind of get into the details of it. He just kills a bunch of dudes. I sort of pictured it as like, that scene at the start of Thor Ragnarok where Thor just throws the hammer and the camera follows the hammer as it goes around in a circle and takes out everyone in a radius around him. Ooh. Plus, you know, it gives you an excuse to imagine Led Zeppelin in the middle of... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. I hope so they have Led Zeppelin when, if the movie comes out. Yeah, I was about to say, now you got me thinking of like how, how they're going to score this movie if when it gets made. <laughs> And then Vin kills people for what I guess is like her first time ever. And she doesn't even think about it. She just like starts shooting coins at people and only thinks after the fact, like, I just killed four people. Yes, when the adrenaline quickly dies off. Yeah. I'm glad Sorry, I didn't gloss over that because, like, you know, she's, had, she's always had to do, you know, do immoral things to survive being a part of a thieving crew. But it's like it. Yeah, she's still very innocent in terms of how nasty the world can really be in some ways. So I'm glad they did mm-hmm. bring this up, but also just like uh, I just I just did this. Holy shit, there's more coming. I got to keep going. So I thought that was a nice touch. Mm. Well, and she she even says before Reen had always done the killing. So it's not like they've never been killing people in jobs she's involved in. It's just like she never personally. She's, yeah. And I, I, now that it, his name has come up, I'm just curious. What do you guys think? we're going to see if anything from Reen in the future because we hear about him a whole lot but all we know about him is that he disappeared and betrayed her she says and left her to like cover his debts basically I get the feeling he's going to show up as some character under another name and it's not going to be revealed for a long time who like that that character is really Reen I don't know if that's someone we've already met or someone we haven't yet met but I feel like that's how he's going to come back into the story hmm I guess it would have to be somebody that Vin hasn't met either, because uh, assume she would recognize her brother. But that's interesting, yeah. Well, potentially. I mean, who knows? Like maybe she, maybe I don't know. I'm going to go with another uh, crackpot theory here. Maybe he's an inquisitor and she doesn't recognize him with spikes in his face. Well, yeah. We still don't know how they're created, so. Right. Ooh, what if he he'll come back like winning the lotto style when he finds out Vin's all tough and powerful? He'll be like, "Hey, <laughs> want to help me out?" I feel like that's what you'd expect, right? Like, she finally gets something good going for herself, and then the guy who always used to beat her up and take advantage of her and whatever shows him, he's like, "Oh, hey, sis, we're family. <laughs> Mind if I blackmail you a little bit, eh?" They'll run into each other at one of these balls and have a reunion with their obligator father. Oh, that would be awkward. awkward. So awkward. <laughs> what, what does Vin do if she's playing a character and she runs into her brother also playing a different character? <laughs> she's just like, be cool, man. Be cool. <laughs> so, yes, we are meeting now for the first time. Yeah, they walk away. They walk <laughs> away like mean? a couple of gunslingers, like just... Don't make any sudden movements. So it's like that meme of the monkey doll with the eyes going back and forth. Mm. Uh-oh. <laughs> yep, it's exactly... I, I can totally picture what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry, I stopped us in the middle of a, of a big action scene to talk about something <laughs> that may or may not ever happen. But... Uh, 
So well, yeah. you've brought it up, so I'm going to assume that it probably does. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward silence. <laughs> What were you saying about that monkey doll? <laughs> nah, he's gonna cut the awkward. Yeah. He's gonna cut the cut the awkward silence out. That way, it appears absolutely normal. Are you kidding? The awkward is the funniest part. Why would you cut that out? <laughs> uh, let's see. So Kelsier kills a bunch of dudes. There's daggers. There's metal flying around. Vin is holding like a handful of bloody coins because she killed a guy with coins and then pulled the coins back so she kill more dudes with them. Which that's badass. I don't know. It's just. I'm going to kill you with these coins that are still dripping with the blood of the last person I killed with them. Which, again, to remind me of a comic book movie, like the scene in X-Men First Class where Magneto pulls the knife out of the dude's hand, throws it into the other guy, rips it back out of the other guy and back into the hand. Anyone? Yep. Yep. Nazi hunter Magneto. I remember. Yep. Best best part of that movie. Absolutely. Everyone was like, we just need we just need the spinoff of Nazi hunting Magneto. Like Everyone wants to watch that movie. I would watch the shit out of that movie. That would have been, like, instead of, like, Old Man Logan in the Logan movie, that's what you want. That's, that's like, the first rated R uh, X-Men movie is Nazi hunting Magneto. Oh. <clears throat> Can that be the title, too? Magneto, Nazi hunter. Exactly. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, guys, why is the James Bond theme playing over the title credits? Because it's awesome. <laughs> Take this, Nazis. Give me your Nazi gold. See, well, that's more like Indiana Jones than James Bond. Yeah, but I don't know. Fassbender always comes across as a James, but I've, I've sidetracked this again. I keep doing that. <laughs> well, so Kelsier has, and this is another one of those moments where he's just, it's like super cold, where he's like, every Ska knows in his heart that it is the greatest of crimes to take up arms in defense of the final empire. So basically, it's okay to slaughter these people indiscriminately because they work for him and we hate the Lord Ruler. So Yeah, we're getting a really nasty concerned. side of Kelsier here. Yeah, let's not well, let's not give any thought philosophically to these people have families and lives of their own, and you know they're probably just doing this work because it's the only work they can get. Let's just say they're all bad. Let's kill them. Yeah, I'm really... they all made a choice. Mm. Yeah, he's uh, it's, it's these moments like this and the nobility where it's just like he gets he goes to this dark place sometimes. Really does. It's very concerning. And so they get in there, and um, Vin notes on the way that, like, there's no metal on any of these guards. They've all been trained to fight Alamancers. They're all haze killers, basically. And they find a um, a really nice room with a, a domed roof and murals all over the place. And she says it's it's like the other mural or the, the stained windows and stuff she's seen, where it's like these representations of the Lord Ruler, but this is less abstract. There's a big mountain, there's a cavern, and a pool of light, and something very dark. And that's a, an entire sentence by itself. So it's just teasing at these little hints about what happened a thousand years ago with the uh, the deepness and such. Once again, they're just they're, they're, they're dabbing little things here and there. Yeah. It's a very gothic sort of uh, image this is painting. Like, yeah. you know, the, like the dark stone and the... <laughs> Everything else. When when um, the the door opens, the Inquisitor's in there. Like my mind just instantly put in the lightning bolt <laughs> past the windows. Boom, boom, boom! Dramatic thunderclap. Yep. Well, and it is raining get, outside, like, the, so go, get the gargoyles coming down to do some work. <laughs> so does, does that make the Lord Ruler like Xanatos? <laughs> sure. <laughs> 
He can be played by Jonathan Frakes. It'll be great. I'll, t- uh, I'll take that. Jonathan Frakes is really old now, though. So, uh, so is Lord Ruler. He's still got the voice. That's true. Like, Lord Ruler's a thousand years old. If anything, Jonathan Frakes is young. That's that's an excellent <laughs> point. Although we've never seen Lord Ruler, so we don't know what he looks like. He, he may look a thousand. We don't know. <laughs> so there's Steel Inquisitor inside when he opens the door. of this. Uh, there's a little building inside the building that uh, I guess we should touch on that. It, ornate and carved with carved stone and flowing patterns, a small building, a single story. And Kelsier's like, ah, I'm going to make it into this room, finally. Open the door, Steel Inquisitor, who immediately reaches out and grabs Kelsier by the throat as he's screaming for Vin to run. Did, did anyone think that Kelsier might actually die here? The thought crossed my mind. I, I I certainly thought he would come out of the situation more injured than Vin, which did not happen. No. Okay. Vin, run. She froze, and then out of the, from the sides come two more black-robed Inquisitors, tall, lean, and bald, marked with spikes and intricate ministry eye tattoos. So I don't remember if we've established before they have the same eye tattoos that we've seen on the uh, Obligators. But they at least have very similar markings. Around the spikes? Apparently around the spikes, yeah. Weird. Which, yeah, I'm trying, you got to try to picture, like... I, I always pictured, like, really giant circles on their eyes, basically. Like, the spikes had really big end points. Yeah, that's, that's what I pictured, pictured, yeah. And I don't know why. I mean, they might be more like railroad spikes, where the end is not really much bigger than any other part of it. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Obviously, they're somewhat long because they go all the way through the back of the head and out the back. But, uh, yeah, how big they are, the, who knows? Like, to go back to the question of how the hell are these things created? Like, do the mm-hmm. tattoos come with the spikes or before the spikes? Are these obligators who graduated to spike face? <laughs> graduated to spike. I like that. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's like pomp and circumstances playing, and you have a little hat do, with a tassel on it. Do, do, do. <laughs> And, and then now they shove the, the spikes through their eyes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, why did I become valedictorian? <laughs> <laughs> you just hear like kink, kink, and screams like ah. Okay. <laughs> and next, oh god. So this the Inquisitor knows Kelsier. He says she's or, or uh, he knows of him. He's like Kelsier, the survivor of Hathson, and then immediately turns to Vin, and it's like, and you, I've been looking for you. I will let this one die quickly if you tell me which nobleman spawned you, half-breed. So, this may be the guy who's been following Vin, it seems like. He has a stake in that. Is that a pun? (laughs) It was not intentionally, but yeah, okay, I got it. Well, and the interesting thing is, this is also the one that shows up, like, Vin gets chased by one Inquisitor, and this is the second one that shows up to chase her down. So you almost get the impression that this guy has it out for her. Yeah, he keeps asking, like, who's your dad? Who's your dad? <laughs> who, who is it? I gotta know. I gotta write it down in my, my diary. <laughs> but I like that Kelsier plays the guy completely by whispering something and the Inquisitor pulls him closer to hear what he's saying and gets a dagger in his neck as a reward for that and then gets his arm broken. And Kelsey's like, I said, run. Have you not been listening, girl? And throws his coin pouch at her to push her down the hall and away because 
I guess this is kind of like one of those fight or flight situations and Vin has frozen. Like, holy shit, there's three Inquisitors here. What do I do? Which yeah, I don't blame like her for. She was not trained for this. No. I don't think anyone has trained for this. <laughs> Maybe Kelsier. We don't know what his training pe- was like. Well, they say people live in fear of these things and there are only mm-hmm. 20 of them. So most so most people who like wind up on the receiving end of them probably face one at a, one at a time. And there yeah. you got three of the bastards. That's a good point. What percentage of the Inquisitors is, is here? It's three of 20? Yeah, Kelsier said earlier that about half of them were in Luthadel at any given time. So somewhere around the city, theoretically, there's like 10 of them hanging around. And so fully a third of the ones in the city are in this room for whatever reason. I mean, what do you guys... Is this a bunkhouse? Yeah. They, they, were, just, they were just having it a could, nice it meal. It could be. That guy just had a shower or whatever and was coming out. <laughs> yeah, he's having a kip, and he's like, oh, hey, look who came to call. Hello. So yeah, he it's like he, he, he was excited. It's like he... he he was, he was doing a thing where he's about to open the door from the inside when someone else opened it on the outside, and he thought, I'm going to cover this and make it look like I planned this. Hey, guys! <laughs> How's it happen? So, I mean, what, what does everybody think? Is it, were they waiting here for them? Is this a coincidence that this is just where Inquisitors hang out and they ran into them? Or, you know, what's the deal? I feel like... My like thoughts they... are... Go ahead, Jack. No, no, you go first. I always seem to go first. Okay. Uh, my thought was that, um, sorry, now I lost my thought. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) That's why dad goes first, because he remembers. Yeah, exactly. My bad. Uh, No, no, you're fine. My thought was that the Inquisitors knew, um, they've been, they've been hearing around town that the survivor of Hathson has returned, and maybe they've just been doing patrols there because they knew he tried to break in before. So um, that's that was my thought on it. Yeah, I think given the fact they haven't exactly been subtle about the fact Kelsier is back, I mean, especially considering the entire Vin's previous crew knew he was back, and then that crew was found tortured and murdered by an Inquisitor. So clearly mm. they've gotten the information that he is back. That said, I think there is something more to the fact that they they seem to be waiting for them on this particular night. Like they knew he was coming back somehow, but I don't quite know how yet. Okay. It definitely sounds like a trap. Mm-hmm. Like there was to open that door, and there's one like eerily smiling at them. <laughs> like they were waiting for them. It definitely wasn't. Yeah, a... and then and then one as soon as that happens, the other two pop out of the sides. It's just like, hey guys. Yeah. And then Admiral Akbar pops up and goes, "It's a trap." <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just I was just curious where where y'all were falling in that. It sounds like everyone's kind of thinking along the same lines. Vin's running through the corridor. Sometimes flying through the corridors, trying to find a way out of this place that she has no familiarity with. And that, honestly, that may have been the biggest uh, mistake in bringing Vin, was that apparently Kelsier has studied the plans for this place in depth. And that's the only explanation we get later on for why he got out without too much of a problem and uh, wasn't horribly injured in the process. Uh, That and the fact that they seem more interested in Vin than him. But Vin has no idea where she is or what is going on in this weird freaky building. So, I mean, with her luck, she might've stumbled into the Lord ruler's bedroom or something, uh, just running around. (laughs) Man, what's this room with all these IV trips? (laughs) (laughs) 
And uh, she finds a freaky room with a big gold altar and some candelabra and religious paraphernalia, whatever that means, and tries to hide out in there when the Inquisitor shows up and she has to burn her adium to avoid him. But uh, unfortunately, it turns out that he also has some adium. Which I was, uh, I think when the Inquisitors first showed up, I was wondering, it's like, are they mistings or misborn? And if, like, they can use adium in... in like as well as what, what was the other one they used to like sense the like because they, they were they were like um kelsey flared a metal and the and the inquisitor locked onto him in that first in that initial encounter so they can burn more than one metal that would suggest they're misborns yeah yeah as far as we know uh and, and you're right it's uh i think it's brass and i gotta look it up but we know from the first time when they're talking about inquisitors that they are all seekers, uh, like Marsh, and that they can detect Alamancy. Uh, so they can all burn. Uh, I'm having to look at it just to make sure. No, I was wrong. Is bronze? Are we sure that this isn't Harry Potter? They got keepers and seekers in this. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if we see, you know, a, a bludger, then we can talk. But yeah, so we know, according to Kelsier, at least. They can all burn bronze to to find Alamancers, hunt them down. That's one of their jobs. And now we see this guy burning Adium as well, which, if they're regular old Alamancers, based on what we know, you either get one or you get all of them, which would mean that this guy, at least, well, and the second guy, because when he shows up, he's also burning Adium. These two, at least, are definitely misborn. Based, you know, if normal Alamancy rules apply, which... We don't know for sure that they do because they yeah, somehow survive yeah. spikes through their brains and stuff. So, you know. Right. We still don't know what those spikes are made of, do we? I don't think we do. The 11th metal. No, I don't know. Could be. <laughs> oh, we know. Uh, oh, and he's uh, he's using iron here to pull against her, and they uh, and he pushes back coins that she shot at him. Uh, so, yeah, he can he can use several metals. Right. And she finds, like, a big book thing because it doesn't have any metal on it, so he won't detect it and use it to block the spiky things that... Apparently, she says that they're just, like, sitting in a bowl on a pillar, like, a little handful of metal triangles that are sharp on all sides. So, basically, there's, like, ninja stars or something (laughs) sitting in this room with an altar, just in a big old bowl, and he pulls them out and, like, starts chucking them. The way dis- the way the that they're described, it made me think they were like caltrips or something. Caltrips, yeah, something. Yeah, spiky. Yeah. So this is a weird room of religious significance. Like it's there's an altar and religious paraphernalia and a bowl of spikes. Yeah, maybe those were the sacred spikes the Lord Ruler used <laughs> to vanquish the d- the deep. <laughs> it's like the holy caltrops of Antioch. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. He figured out if you threw caltrops on the ground, the deepness would step on them, and <laughs> its tentacles would get all spiked up. And exactly. oh, my one weakness, brother Maynard. <laughs> brother Maynard, can you break the caltrops of Antioch? We <laughs> shall be the counting. <laughs> and so she escapes this guy, and here's here's the moment that I like when she's burning the adium, and we get the first look at it, kind of in a serious fight. 
where there's like a dozen shoulders that show up and they're all swinging like stuff staves and things at her and uh this was dax thing where last time we found out what adium does he's like well if you have like a whole army coming at you then how's it really gonna help but these guys like she's just dodging everything the 12 different guys are swinging at her in an enclosed space yep yep as i'm sure many listeners uh wanted i have to shut my mouth on that one (laughs) (laughs) and she feels invincible Right up until she turns the corner, and the other guy's standing there with shadows of his own jumping out and stabs her with something sharp. I thought it was interesting, like, because we had this conversation last week, I think, where we were talking about the glass daggers, and then this one's uh, specifically called obsidian. When yep. last time we thought we assumed that's what the glass meant. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, we totally talked about that. We're like, yeah, I assumed that it was like volcanic glass, but they do make that differentiation here. So it makes you wonder what exactly kind of weapon is Vin using. Yeah, um, not sure. But I like this guy apparently has like a spear or something. Just, it's a length of wood affixed with sharp obsidian blades. Jesus. So these guys are hardcore. But he didn't want to kill her because he wants to know who her father is. Again, who's your daddy? And uh, it's... Well, I mean, it, it makes sense if like the they are the shock troops designed. Like they are specifically there to put down Mistborns and make sure no half-breeds come about. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, like they're still on the clock here. <laughs> I'm trying but to do they're really, now. they're really especially keen in to who Vin's father is. Like they didn't stop and ask Kelsia who his father is. Do they already know? Have they already killed his father? You know, like what is their what is their end game of knowing this? Because I know like that's their role. You know, they've got to stop um, half breeds and things like that. But they are really obsessed with who Vin's father is. It's like they just didn't know she existed at all, and then all of a sudden, boom, she's there. And she's a real threat, obviously. Mm. Actually, on that note, like they didn't seem interested in Kelsey at all if they've already killed his father. What the hell do they think of Marsh? Do, are they aware of his existence? Because uh, we, we know he's not a Mistborn, but maybe they don't know that, and they know Kelsey is. Mm-hmm. Like, Would they also be hunting down Marsh? I guess the, that's a really interesting point, is do people in general... I mean, we know that the Underground... It, or their friends at least, know that they're brothers. And they were raised together as noblemen. So, yeah, I mean, you know, did their father get executed for siring half-breeds? Do they know all of who, you know, was uh, his kids were? Because you would think if they were raised as noblemen, they were public knowledge, basically. So if you later found out out uh, the truth, then maybe... I guess it could have just be that like Kelsier's dad is the only one who found out what their mom was and killed him for it uh, and then kept it quiet because he did not want to be executed. Yeah. I, guess I don't know. It, it, it just comes off as like, you know, pe- like you could make the argument that, Oh, well, Marsh isn't uh, a mistborn. He's only like, uh, so it's not really that much of a threat. And like, that really does not gel with the impression we've gotten of this governing system. Like any half breeds no. at all, regardless of what they actually are, get killed. So they are not supposed to exist. They have to die. I agree. That's the way it's definitely seemed up till now. Interesting. I mean, they may think that Kelsier is a noble, in which case, you know, they don't want to kill him because he's a criminal. But oh, okay, be, that's a fair point. You know, the same thing. Mm. We really just don't know, I guess. Hmm. So she hears the rain with her tin and is like, I'm going to get out. 
And now there's an ice cream truck driving past outside, making ice cream truck music. <laughs> Dude, it's ruining the mood. the correct background music for this moment. Might have to give it a minute here. Is that what she heard in the rain? Some ice cream truck? Yeah, she's like, <laughs> oh, I want ice cream. Sweet. I, I, I gotta get out of here to get some ice cream. Maybe that'll cool off my wound. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Okay. So, like, she starts running, or, or leaving, basically, and the Inquisitor, in an amused voice, is like, you think to escape? So, he he doesn't seem all that threatened by her. Maybe it's just the fact that he's already given her a good stabbing, but he's, you know, he's not worried about her, really. I mean, would you be? You got spikes in your eyes. You're badass. <laughs> sounds like people don't usually get away from an inquisitor either they yeah. just have a bit of fun with them and then they'll kill them which i think is like is the scary part like up until now we just thought the inquisitors were just brutal monsters and turns out no they're actually sadists too they're enjoying this mm-hmm. the bastards totally is and then out into the night where she tries to get away from him uh by like you know kind of hiding in the dark and getting rid of her metal so he chases that instead and then kind of ducking down and hiding somewhere and burning her copper so she can't be detected except he finds her and she's kind of shocked she's like no there's no way how could he possibly have found me any theories about that they have powers we aren't aware of yeah i mean that would seem to be the <laughs> the, the default at this yeah. point it's like they can do some weird shit that nobody understands the spikes give them like some kind of super senses you know they Sonic become, abilities. yeah, they're like Daredevil, <laughs> with spikes <laughs> in their eyes. The, the spikes are actually super binoculars, so they can see through everything. They're prisms, yeah, think... they can see every color at once. <laughs> <laughs> they can smell her perfume. <laughs> <laughs> she was concerned earlier about those scents in her bath. <laughs> Maybe it came back to bite her. Uh, and then, uh, just as he's about to grab her, and she's kind of like passing out, a sound like shattering branches and warm arms pick her up, and she says, Kelsier, but it was not Kelsier. What did you guys think at that point? Who did you think had shown up here? I don't know why. Maybe it's because she thought it was Kelsier, and she said it was another familiar face. Uh, but in my brain, I thought it was Marsh. I'm not sure why, but that's just where my brain went. No, I, I kind of see the, the, the logical leap there. I sort of thought it would have been someone from the crew. But I, I didn't really pay it too much thought. And then we got the answer pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I was the same. I was like, well, it's it's one of her allies, but I've got no idea which. Okay. And that is the end of the chapter. And we move on to the, the next epigraph. Uh, it also brings in a new character, a new terrorist uh, to talk about a little bit. That He's like, I don't know why Quan betrayed me. He was the one who discovered me as the hero of ages and now he's the only one who preaches against my reign so clearly you done pissed someone off narrator <laughs> right <laughs> something weird happened there with his uh, his buddy Quan. yeah yeah Quan Quan was the obi-wan to his anakin i feel like the epigraphs <laughs> in this these four chapters we read are really giving us a lot of uh a lot of insight into this guy and what's going on with him, maybe more so than we've gotten up till this point. 
Yeah. I think we're also starting to see things in the chapters themselves that are aligning with these mm. epigraphs. So it's sort of it, at the start, it was kind of like two separate stories. We're like, we're not really sure how it's going to marry up. But then now we're starting to go, oh, I think I see what's unfolding here. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, poor Quan, he thought he had it right. <laughs> Obviously, something happened. He realized he was wrong. Yeah. Oh no, watching this guy kill all his friends in the name of power <laughs> makes me think I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, like from the other stuff that we've read from this guy's perspective, you don't feel like he's a guy like killing people willy-nilly for power. Like he's that's not the impression that I get at least in what we've read so far. He seems like not a horrible guy. No, no, I, and I'm not I'm not saying that he is, but it's like the fact that he is talking about friends that he's had to kill clearly means that he mm. yeah, has made some poor decisions or something, or he's made like like bad, like hard decisions for the right reasons or however you want to play it, and like that's got to be just pe- like people watching that from the outside, like are uh, probably going to think I can't believe you actually did that, but there's his intentions versus with versus what other people see. So, right. Yeah. You never know what a person's thinking. You just see what's going on on the outside. So. Yeah, and it's like, yes, the, this narrator is really upset by all the horrible things he's had to do, but from the outside, Quan might just see a guy who's done these horrible things and none of the turmoil inside. Mm-hmm. And so he thinks that maybe he's enjoying it or something. Somewhat similar to how we react to Kelsia and his emotions about killing people. He sees he's got to do a job. You know, we're like, oh, it's so cold and heartless and things. And, you know, he he doesn't seem to be sort of upset by it, but he seems to have to justify it to people every time. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we'll, we'll start to see some qualities, I think. Interesting parallel. I like that. So we, we move into Chapter 15, and it's uh, Dachshund just berating Kelsey. Like, what is wrong with you? How could you have taken her there? My immediate thought is, Kelsey is here. How the hell did he get away? And I spent the entire chapter going, waiting for that explanation, and I'm not sure it actually came. Did it? No. They, no, we got, uh, in I think maybe the next chapter, like a very sort of throwaway explanation, but we do not get details yeah. on what exactly happened with Kelsey here. The basic explanation sounds like the two, um, the two Inquisitors were more interested in her so he was only left facing one, and he just knew the the uh, grounds better, so he somehow escaped. That's, like, the only explanation we really got. Well, and we know from at least the first section of the book that dodging an Inquisitor is something that he can pull off. He's done it before. So, I don't know. I, I agree that it's, it's odd that he manages to escape mostly unscathed. But uh, he's getting chewed out in this chapter... And he's like, there were three Inquisitors waiting for us. And Dawkins like, you just left her there? He's like, well, no, she got out first. And they go back and forth. And eventually, you know, he's feeling like crap, which he kind of deserves. Like, I agree with Dawkins for the most part. Like, on the one hand, Dawkins is right. He's like, how could you be that stupid? You're the adult in this situation. And on the other hand, he makes some good points. That it's like, she's, it's hard to stop her from doing what she's going to do. Yeah. Yeah, both sides have a point. And so he's going to go back to the palace looking for her, which is probably a horrible idea. But uh, what else can he do, really? And then uh, 
lusty bornies comes running down the stairs and said, someone's coming. Someone's coming. That part we understand. Out the night with the calling is a little uh, less clear. Uh, but it's a big man with a robe. That part we get at least. Big man, period. Robe, period. Okay, I can follow that. Thank you. Yes, thank you for talking in short bursts of sentences so I don't have a stroke reading your dialogue. And so they're all like, this is it. The Inquisitors are coming to kill us. Let's get ready. Dachshund has a pair of daggers hidden somewhere on his person. And they're ready for fight. But Sage shows up. And he's carrying her. And they give her some pewter so that she can keep uh, alive, basically. And apparently Sazed is uh, a surgeon in addition to uh, his other talents. I couldn't tell you why, but that did not surprise me at all. Yeah. For sure. And this is the part where I started to get confused because they start throwing around terms that I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about because they haven't explained this yet. <laughs> start talking about I used up like my metal head or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> what's a metal head? <laughs> Sounds like a sex toy. I don't know what's happening. I'm just I'm so, very confused. So I, I think I think if I'm not mistaken here, the first taste we get of what you're talking about is when Kelsier is uh, he's thinking to himself that Sazed is no ordinary healer. Religious rites were not the only things that the Keepers stored in their uncanny memories. Their metal minds contained vast wealths of information on culture, philosophy, and science. So, metal mind. That's right. First metal, of all. metal mind, not metal head. Excuse me. Metal head is, is a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles character, for one thing, okay? So, oh, that was sure. metal head. Great. No, there's also a leather head. No, there's metal head. There's too. metal head, too. Is yeah. it? Yeah, he's a robot uh, turtle. Leatherhead. Leatherhead's yeah, an alligator. Metalhead's metal the robot turtle. Leatherhead's the alligator. Yep. Right. I used to have all these action figures. <laughs> yeah, we sure did. And play Turtles in Time on Super Nintendo. You can fight both of them. It's true. You do do that. Anyway. So, uh, less like a sex toy when it's a metal mind, I feel like. But um... Metal mind sounds like a, like a B-grade 70s supervillain. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, but yes, I think that uh, I feel like it's intentional the way that when it was Alamancy, he Brandon gives us everything up front. Like Vin is even thinking, like hanging a lantern on. It's like, oh, they're gonna make me learn this like a little bit of time. They're never gonna tell me everything, and then they just tell us everything, more or less. We still don't know well, the ninth battle. We still got drip fed a lot of it, bit by bit. That's true. Uh, the, uh, but even then, it kind of wasn't, like, hidden or anything. It was, like, just as we went through the story and it came up, here's where it talks about it. Until that one scene where Kelsey was like, here, Vin, let me teach you everything. But in this case, it's almost a tease, where even in later on in the next chapter, when Vin kind of confronts him about it, says, like, I don't really want to talk about that. So I, I feel like it's an intentional kind of, like, contrast between these things. So Sazed does a lot of surgery on her, sews up her insides... And uh, apparently, he even says pewter helps you make more blood. So apparently, pewter is a very useful metal to have. Yeah, as long as you can yeah, use it. Especially if you, yeah, especially if you're a vampire. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Sazed mentions metal mines again, where he says, when he found out that she was gone, I came to Luthadel as quickly as I could. I used up an entire metal mine to make the trip with haste, and I was still too late. And then he also found the book that Vin had uh, dropped out there in the middle of the rain. 
and it's written in Kleni, the language of Klenium, the ancient pre-assumption homeland of the Lord Ruler. Which, as soon as she picked that thing up, I was like, okay, that's going to be something. It's in this religious room. She's picked it up to use, and they're going to get it back to base somehow, and it's going to be a whole thing. She's found the Bible. Well, kind of. I mean, I, I, we'll, we'll get into that more once it tells us about it in, like, two chapters. But she found a book. We'll leave it at that for right now. Um, and Kelsier admits to Dachshund that he's worried that they're not going to be able to do what they're trying to do without finding a way to stop the Lord Ruler, which makes more sense when he goes on to explain that uh, decapitation only annoys the guy. And one time he walked out of uh, this burning in barely more than a skeleton and healed in a matter of seconds. Yeah, it sounds like Mar. Uh, sounds like Wolverine in Marvel yes. Civil War, where he walks out Very of that blast as a skeleton and then just comes back to life somehow. God, okay. I think the, jug- the Juggernaut did that once too. That drove me crazy in Civil War, by the way, uh, just because like up till that point, I felt like Wolverine's healing power was not supposed to be like. I can go from a skeleton back to a person. Yeah. Like, it wasn't exactly. that good. It, but it, it wasn't. Then it was. All of a sudden. I feel like it was almost the comic relief moment in that comic. It's like, oh, look, he's a skeleton. Ha <laughs> He'll come back to life. Don't worry. <laughs> but so, the Lord Ruler is, uh, this may be one of the first, like, specific things we've heard about how awesome his powers are. Other than earlier when it was like he's a super good soother, apparently he can heal from a skeleton back to normal in seconds. So also decapitation see, only anno- is... annoys him. Is that just a head on the ground just going, guys, can you pick me up, please? <laughs> this is really annoying. Body, body, come here. It's like, it's like the bit in the like second Fender. part of the Caribbean movie. <laughs> yep, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, and, and this ge- only like he's genuinely immortal. Yeah. And and this only like strengthens my theory that like that he didn't defeat the this dark deepness or whatever, it's inside him. Like it yeah, it took I'm him just, over. And, and, because there's no way with even with the best alamancy ever, I feel like there's no way this guy can put himself back together from a skeleton without having some kind of crazy supernatural being inside of him. Well, I mean, he's supposed to be like their god at this point so you know maybe right. mega, mega comes with the territory right yeah, just because like, you're again, how, did he, how did he get that power yeah exactly mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like how did how did you get the power to become god well you defeat the eldritch abomination <laughs> and then like it sucks into you and now you're powered by it i feel like knowing this almost gives more credence to earlier when ham was like he's god right so he decides what's right and wrong like, that's still kind of, you know, out there. Like, we're, we're, we're not calling him legit god, necessarily. But you can kind of understand more why they feel that way. It's not just that he has crazy allomancy powers. Because lots of people have crazy allomancy powers, right? It's that this guy can do some shit that no one has ever seen before. And so maybe he, they legit think that uh, he's kind of godlike. But anyway, the... Uh, the chapter ends with, you know, it's just Kel and Dachshund talking, like, was this insane stunt really worth nearly getting yourself and the child killed? And he's like, I don't know. Ask me once we know whether or not Vin will live. It's a very dramatic ending to this section. Not that I think any of us were thinking that Vin was about to die. No. But this is also where he, like, Kelsey starts ranting about how, like, he can't figure out how to make the 11th medal work. Which, mm-hmm. like, 
is really one of the few times we actually see Kelsey lose control and his facade of being supremely calm, confident, and a bit smug really just falls away. Like, he's just, yeah, I fucked up and I can't do what I need to do. Yeah, and I really feel like Doxon is probably the only one he would let that slip with because apparently it's like his oldest friend or whatever. He can't let the rest of the crew see him like this, but he's like, I'm legit worried that this is not going to work. Which almost makes me feel better about it, because when it's just Kelsier being like, oh yeah, everything's fine. Horrible problem comes up. No, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, you almost feel like he's not taking it seriously enough, and this moment kind of brings him down and humanizes him a little bit, where he's no, he's legit thinking and worried about this actually working. I like yeah. that. And and like earlier on in the chapter, before Says brought Vin in, there's the bit where he's talking about, God, am I going to let them all die first, man? Now Vin, are the rest going to mm-hmm. follow? And that made me think of the epigraph. It's like all the friends that I killed. I'm like, ooh, <laughs> hang on. That's a bit of a nasty parallel there. Yeah, I have thoughts about that, but we'll get to that at the end. So the, the epigraph here at the beginning of part three, Children of a Bleeding Son. Damn is... it, now the ice cream truck's at my house. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut in there. Uh, no, no, that's fine. I'll let you reset that up. That up. <laughs> no, you're fine. So the <laughs> I, he we don't live, live that far, me, far so it makes away. Sense, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we live kind of close. All of that is staying in. This is gold. So anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, children of a bleeding son is a very dramatic uh, name for the chapter. But this is one of maybe the longest of these epigraphs that we've gotten, and it's telling us this guy's history. As he's like, you know, many people think it started in Clenium. Which, hey, we just had a thing in that chapter talking about how Clenium is where the Lord Ruler lived before he ascended and became Lord Ruler. Yeah, really laying it on thick. Yep. So um, he's, it started. It didn't start in Clenium or Cordell, nor did it come from the great nations of the, to the east or the fiery empire of the west. This sounds like an interesting world this guy lives in that is now gone, apparently. It began in a small, unimportant town with a youth, son of a blacksmith, unremarkable in every way, perhaps, except perhaps in his ability to get into trouble. This feels almost like the beginning of Name of the Wind to me, where he's like, it I'm, really does. I'm the Lord you of the Ruler. You me. may have heard of me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's an interesting, and I, I, uh, despite this being very interesting by itself, there's an interesting thing in the uh, in the annotations that I wanted to bring up here. Because he says, uh, and in this first book in the annotations, by the way, he calls these epigrams. And I don't know. Uh, actually, now I want to look that up to see if that's a thing. Epigram. A pithy saying or remark or a short poem, especially a satirical one, having a witty or ingenious ending. I think he's using the word epigram incorrectly. But um, that's what he calls them here. So he says the epigrams in this section of the book should look familiar, not because you've read them before. But because, assuming you have any familiarity with fantasy, you've read this kind of story before. The young peasant hero who rises up to fight the dark evil. So this is kind of the, you know, this is what happens after that chapter of the, that character's life. Well, yeah, and he, he's, he's going on to say, this is one of the foundational concepts of the book, however. I've read too many stories about young peasant boys who saved the world. I wanted to tell one about a world where the prophesied hero came but failed. This concept, of course, evolved. The original idea was that the Dark Lord was going to defeat the peasant boy. Instead, however, I found the concept of the peasant boy becoming the Dark Lord more interesting. The Dark Lord. <laughs> so, so, apparently, so this, this, this is where you know Luke struck the Emperor down with all of his hatred. I guess it kind of, yeah. That's 
I, I hadn't thought about it like that, but it's that's kind of true. If Luke had struck him down and become the new Dark Lord or whatever, although uh, I don't want to get off on a thing. I'm just I don't think Sidious <laughs> ever actually uh, was going to let himself be killed, uh, uh, especially he, not his spirit was going to move into him like he was planning with Rey. Yeah, I was about to say, especially not if you watch the newest film. It's just like there's no way he yeah. planned to die. Uh, I'm not talking about that movie. <laughs> yeah, let's. I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to get us that far off. Let's not that. digress into that. But I, just, I, I really like that this is the 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 origin of the kind of the idea for this story. Is he's like, you've heard this story a million times. I wanted to take that and turn it on its head. Where the the con the original concept is also interesting. Where he's like, this epic story about the young hero coming off the farm and. Uh, becoming the prophesied hero, and then he ends up getting killed or something by the Dark Lord. That would that's a really interesting story. But I agree with him that it's almost more interesting to have like that kid, the hero, becoming the evil emperor. Yeah, I would I would say it's like this is like this method is probably more interesting because if you get to uh, if you get you know the hero rising up and then getting killed by the Dark Lord, and then pres- presumably if that's the end of the story. But um, if that is the end of the story, it's kind of just a, well, that was a bit of a waste of time. We just followed one. That would be a little. Yeah. It's, uh, but, it's, but it's also like that means this was entirely inconsequential. The Dark Lord is not defeated by this kid. Why are we following his story? Why, are, why aren't we following the story of the person who brought him down? Whereas the kid becoming the Dark Lord means that is the most important part of his story. So there's a reason for us to see that. That's a really good point, actually. Yeah. Just in in terms of story, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, it's like uh, it's like Christian Bale says, or not Christian Bale, Aaron Eckert says in The Dark Knight. It's like you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain or whatever. Yep. So so he's Harvey Dent. Interesting. Okay. I'm on board with this. No, from from now on, from now on, the Lord Ruler is Harvey Dent. Okay. I can uh, see that. <laughs> Plus, you know, Aaron, like Aaron Eckhart's a great actor, so cast Aaron Eckhart as the Lord Ruler. Yeah, I'm on board. We get into the chapter, and her first thought when she awakes in pain is that Reen had beaten her again. What had she done? And you get a list of reasons that he had beaten her before, which that's nice. Yeah, just in case. Oh, it's been too long since we reminded how shitty Vin's life yeah. was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, yeah, things are starting to seem nice. Re- Maybe we need to remind you. It reminds me of the first season of Star Trek: The Next Generation, where Tasha Yar is constantly talking about how she was almost raped by rape gangs. I'm just like, why? Why isn't there more to this person than their terrible, terrible past? I think that comes up like two or three times. I feel like it's not as much as you're saying, but I agree that it does. Uh, it seems like her go-to, like, let me remind you of my character. Yeah. And, uh, uh Les DeBornies is there, and he says, you're awaking. Which, at least that kind of makes sense. <laughs> until until the next sentence, where he's like, she's like, Les DeBornies. And he goes, nodding as the now, Kelsier wasing the hit with my name. Changed it to Spook. <laughs> One day I'm going to figure out his speech. <laughs> which, you know... <laughs> whatever the whatever the rest of it is, I'm glad his name has changed to Spook because it's hard to say Lustborn and he's well, I'm not even sure I'm saying that right, so Yeah. I'm also just imagining it's like for some reason it just popped in my head like at some point this kid dies and on his tombstone is just like the most incomprehensible epitaph <laughs> and all and all the characters are just like he would have wanted it this way. 
no one can understand what the hell it says. And he's like, that's exactly how he spoke. <laughs> I mean, if if, it, if at this point they were going to kill off one of the crew, I could totally see it being him. Yeah. Fan yeah. challenge, write a tombstone for Les Demoris. <laughs> 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 no, Spook. Spoilers. His name is Spook now because it's much easier to say. Uh, she's been unconscious for two weeks. And uh, Dachshund comes, and she's like, hey, is Kelsey okay? And here's that explanation where he's like, he knows the palace fairly well from the plans we made three years ago. And he said the Inquisitors weren't very focused on killing him. They left one to chase him and sent two after you. Which is interesting because in the previous chapter, Kelsey mentions that two stuck with him and one went after Vin. Yep. And I think it's probably a mix based on what we saw from Vin's perspective because one does chase her initially. And And then a second one shows up. A second one shows up. And we know the second one is not a new one because it's the same one. She says it's the same one that kills you. are like stabbed in the throat and broke his arm. Feeling much better, by the way. We didn't touch on that. But he's mm, like yeah. not particularly hampered by the fact that he just had his throat slit and his arm broken. But uh, so probably Kelsier runs and one chases him and the other one turns around and goes after Vin instead. But I agree it's a little bit almost confusing the way that it's written where we're getting conflicting reports. What if, what if the spikes? Uh, I'm just I'm following this thread of my theory. What if the spikes contain the deepness, and the deepness gives them their crazy powers? Interesting. So I'm gonna spike some evil god into you. Take it. I mean, I could say that. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Vin wants to know how the job is going. The army is growing, and Renu has begun punishing purchasing weapons and supplies and it turns out that her suggestion about theron's contact was good they're gonna get marsh into the ministry i'm sorry at some point she passed out and kelsier showed up i kind of skipped over that she's talking to kelsier (laughs) and kelsier apologizes for almost getting her killed and he's like you should not have been able to force me to make you go i'm supposed to be the grown-up i'm just not used to that (laughs) he doesn't say that that's what he's thinking yeah, uh, they spread a story that she's sick, but they need to get her out where people can see her because rumors are starting to circulate. And she has this very important moment for her character where we've been talking about how she's getting kind of cocky. And almost from the beginning, when she starts training, Jamie's like, I think that this is going to come back and bite her, that she's going to be too cocky at some point with these powers. And here it is. It did exactly that. Yeah. So long term, Jamie pulled that I went out. Vin's just like, the palace, the Inquisitors, we're not invincible, are we? I'm she glad she survived died. it. Yeah, right? It's like extreme version of like the rusty nail lesson. <laughs> it really is. Now that you say that, that's totally true. Is Instead of one nail, it was two. And the nails were spikes <laughs> in Inquisitors' faces. <laughs> the, ah, the it's nails, a metaphor! The nails were like weird chinese throwing star caltrop thingies flying through the air at her and we find out that apparently spook was uh, like at her bedside a whole lot during while she was passed out but everyone kind of took turns and she's just like i don't get this like where i come from if someone gets hurt you leave them to die because you got to keep making enough money to eat which as dak likes to say it's just some more reminders about how, how crappy vin's life was but it, it's well, really so kind of how... telling her how different like this crew is yeah. Also, how cute that Spook has a little crush. You're definitely getting that impression, yeah. Oh, yeah. But almost from the beginning, honestly, like the first time they kind of met, 
he like was super nervous talking to her and ran away and then spent the whole meeting trying to like not look at her basically yeah it's yeah it's like a cute little variation on on the whole you know boy has a precocious crush is looking out for the um girl except it's also like hampered by the fact the boy can't speak in a normal dialect <laughs> yeah it's hard to have a relationship there sounds like a hallmark movie yeah i mean yep. was it, i mean the, that was sort of like love actually with colin firth and the portuguese girl <laughs> <laughs> Two star-crossed lovers, a girl who doesn't know how to trust, a boy who can't talk right. Please <laughs> ever find love. Come, come, coming to Hallmark this spring, mixed messages. <laughs> I like, yeah, it's a good title. Every word that Spook says is a mixed message. It's perfect. But uh, she, she's having all these thoughts and remembering Reen's words, but ignoring them, and she gets back to the to mansion renue or whatever and dude is still in character he's, he's really good at acting apparently she's just constantly impressed by like this guy just is always on she, she, she mentions that a lot which is just why i was saying that i'm just like it's constantly sorry God. for some reason the the image that popped into my head is like all right so reno is played by daniel day lewis <laughs> he's a method actor does he ever break character? No, he doesn't. It's it's like uh, Tropic Thunder, where Robert Downey Jr.'s character never breaks character until the DVD commentary <laughs> is done. Uh, she goes and talks to Sazed, and she sees him wearing spectacles, which she's like, why is he doing that? I've seen him read without glasses before. And she's just like, you're an Alamancer. And uh, he's like, what? Why, why, why would you say something like that? And I like that he doesn't actively lie necessarily he's kind of like going through a whole dancing like a socratic teaching method with her where he's like well you know you say that i got to luthadel too quickly but there's several fast horses in the stables i could have taken one of those so he's acting almost as a teacher here and uh, instead of while trying to avoid questions at the same time he also points out that Kelsia told told him where he was going, whereas Kelsia said he didn't tell anyone. So I'm like, does he just not count Sazed, or is there more to it than that? Maybe he just told Sazed, like, right before he left, and so he didn't feel like that could possibly be long enough for anyone to have betrayed him, so he didn't really count it. But, yeah, okay, yeah we, we, that, that came up earlier that uh, this is another conflicting uh, bit of information where Kelsier didn't tell anyone, but Sazed, like, Kelsier told me. Hmm. But Kelsier obviously trusts Says implicitly also, though yeah. one would presume he trusted Mayor implicitly, and we saw where that led, so... Yeah. But we find out that, uh... <laughs> he's like, if I wasn't... What would you think if I told you I was an Alamancer? She's like, I would think you were lying. The best liars are those who tell the truth most of the time. And he's like, huh, that's a good point, actually. Uh, and he calls her out because she's like, you couldn't have done those things without Alamancy. And he's like, you've been a misborn for two months and you know everything in the whole world now, right? Okay, sure. And Distracted the Inquisitor. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I didn't kill him. They would take more power than I have to kill one of those monstrosities. I simply distracted him. But uh, he says that keepers are storehouses and they remember things that can be used in the future, which isn't really answering her question. But uh, he also says that he knows... How many languages? Let's see. 172 languages. 172. Yeah, that's a lot of languages. Yeah. 
including the one that this book is written in, at least enough to translate what it says. And he mentions that uh, most of these languages that he knows are no longer spoken because of the Lord Ruler's unity movement in the 5th century. So I guess 500 years ago, Lord Ruler was like, everyone needs to speak the same language now. If I'm going to have an empire, y'all, y'all are all going to talk the same. <laughs> and uh, Sazed explains that what he does is similar to Allomancy, but not the same. Instead of drawing power from the metals, he uses metal to create memories. And that is all he's willing to say on the matter. But uh, we have to maintain our secrets because the Lord Ruler hunts us with a remarkable, confusing passion. Less threatening than Mistborn, but he seeks to destroy us. And here's where we find out that the Lord Ruler has breeding programs to control the terrorist population, and all terrorist stewards are eunuchs. Which, wow. You thought Vin's life was bad. That's messed up. Yeah, that's just horrific. There's not many terrorists left, and the Lord Ruler's breeders control our reproduction. This is... Just when you thought, you know, the Lord Ruler and the Ska that are his slaves couldn't get any worse, you get this. Which is like, jeez, man. And Vince starts thinking, it's like, the breeders must want uh, them to be docile and that's why Sazed is such like a you know relaxed sort of guy she she accepts it really quick and I'm just still sitting here like breeders what the once again they're talking talking about people like they're animals yeah they really are and this almost kind of raises some questions about how there are more keepers as well Mm, so more, more stewards and more keepers like so I mean he was born but so he he now can't reproduce how how do they still exist after all this time? How are they not just being extinct? <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, if it's a genetic inheritance, which I guess we don't know for sure, but if it is, like Allomancy is genetically inherited, apparently the Lord Ruler's breeders are careful to control the reproduction, specifically to stop this from happening. At least that's the way Says kind of puts it to us, is that that's the whole point, is that there's they don't want any more of these keepers, so they're trying to stop it. So how did Says slip through how and apparently he's not the only one so that's a really good point really good question for the future but i feel like it it touches on sort of when we first met sazed and he's talking about uh i think it was dak who was kind of had a problem with like how servile and just subservient by nature this guy seemed to be and that he kind of said his entire species was and it was like oh that kind of rubbed some people the wrong way because it's like yeah we're slaves and we like it that way yeah the phrasing just made me very uncomfortable but now you kind of get an explanation of why that is yeah and, and it should it, make you uncomfortable yeah it does it doesn't make the situation any better it just makes yeah. you understand it more uh, anyway we're gonna move past that because i just can't i can't even yep and he says, uh, she's like, you were brave enough to save me. And he's like, oh, well, I promised Kelsier that I would see to your safety. And she has this thought where she's like, she wondered if he had a reason for his actions. After all, who would risk their life simply to save Vin? Which, that's sad. Yeah, but this is where we get needs some self-esteem for sure. She needs a hug. Yep. But then she probably wouldn't trust the hug. No. She don't don't touch her. Probably it's a bad idea. Yeah. She's like, why are we touching? What's <laughs> and that's how you get a coin through the head. Yeah. Or a knife in the back, you know, whatever. Yeah. 
But uh, this is where we find out that people think that it was Mare that betrayed Kelsier, which you guys had called. Gotta give it to you. And actually, I think there's even in the in the what is the word I'm thinking of in the annotations. I think he makes a note at this point where he's like, "I suspect some of you probably figured that out." It's still phrased in a way that like no one knows for sure. So I'm just like, right. oh, is this going to be one of those things where all the evidence points that way, but the author never really answers the question and lets us fill in the blanks? I have no problem with if that's the case, but I'm just like, eh, I feel I feel like that's going to be one of those things. It's never made explicit. You want an answer, I understand. Well, in a, in a way, yes. But as I say, like I don't mind when like or like when an author is writing a story and like they set up something like there's enough hints so you can figure out what happened, but they never actually come out and say it. I mean, Martin has done that with A Song of Ice and Fire quite a lot. It's like you never it's never really explicitly said that these two characters were we're having an affair, but there's enough hints out there you can put, sort of put it together, at least until the TV show makes it explicit. <laughs> yeah, TV shows can't be vague, right? Yeah. But in this case, isn't it a lot of what Kelsier has to go off is because of what the Lord Ruler actually said to her and that he seemed so genuine? Like, it doesn't strike me as, you know, out there if the Lord Ruler was just messing with him. Right, and yeah, and that's what we find out in the next chapter is that really that's all he has to go by is there's no one else really who could have done it, and the Lord Ruler actually thanks her to their faces and is kind of smug about it apparently from the way Kelsier describes it, and so like that's, and she's dead now, so unless you can track down or someone who did betray them or unless the Lord Ruler says otherwise, there's really no other way to get evidence at this point, but. Uh, says sends Vin to bed where because she needs more rest and that is how we wrap up the third chapter and uh, this epigraph kind of just continues from the last one where he's like you know sometimes I wonder what would have happened if I just stayed in my little town maybe I'd become a blacksmith and have my own sons maybe someone else would carry this terrible burden so he's he's very contemplative in in these things that we get and that's that's kind of a repeated theme in these epigraphs is that uh, he's, it's very it's very journalish. It's very looking inward. Yeah, he's he's trying he's trying to like see himself not from his own perspective. Yeah, he's he's very thoughtful. It's interesting. And then we find out that uh, Vin is extremely bored, living uh, <laughs> this noble woman's life, not getting to do anything cool. Well, you really only got one person to blame for that. It's true. Well, well, she she gets herself to blame, and the guy who stabbed her. He, he can take some of the blame. <laughs> well, yes, but she's the one who put herself in that situation. Yeah, like she's annoyed because taking Renu's idea of taking lunch was for Vin to sit there and attend while he attended to his own duties. It's, this guy, whoever he is, acting like uh, you know Lord Renu is, he's not that friendly. It's the impression that you get here, but maybe it's just you know he, it, it's his method acting, right? He's, he's, he's in character. It's probably totally normal for noble society as well. Probably true. Well, and that's what Breeze even says later, or or Kelsier. It's like, Breeze is like, some people would love not having anything to do all day. And it's like, those people must be crazy. And Kelsier's like, yeah, they're mostly nobles, so obviously they're crazy. I was, was going to say, like, that that is totally a Breeze thing to do. Sit around on my arse all day, drink wine and eat? Holy shit, that's the yeah. life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, I mean, and really, there's nothing else to touch on, so we'll get straight into it. These guys show up, uh, Breeze and Kelsier and Yedden and Doxen, for a meeting. And he's, they're like, hey, you guys don't get to come and have the crew meetings with us very often. So we thought we'd bring it to you. 
And Renu's like, oh, you didn't have to. And Vin's like, shut the hell up. Yes, you did. And Breeze already has a fucking wine glass. <laughs> he walked in the door and had sent somebody to get him some wine or something. Uh, he carries one with him. Yeah. <laughs> got, got some guy behind him with a bottle. If we get a bottle, he's probably got a keg. <laughs> I say, Blacksley, fill up my cup, please. This guy's carrying a, 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 a barrel around like a backpack. And this is where they, they have that that exchange that we that I just talked about where uh, Vin's upset and Breeze is like, dude, a lot of people would envy. Uh, some would find your state quite enviable, Vin, which means that he wants to sit and do nothing and get paid for it. So It's, it's, it's the closest thing he can say to, can we swap? <laughs> I'll be a noble woman. <laughs> and I think the big difference in this section is how like friendly Yedin has become because he's seeing results. They're getting men, they're getting weapons, and he's just like, hey, yeah, let's do this thing. He's like, I want to go see the troops, Kelsey, or please. Kelsey's like, yes, yes, soon. It's a real big change for his character, but it happens almost completely off screen or off page, well, I guess. Well, like, <laughs> Given when we're almost entirely following Vin around, except every so often when we follow Kelsia, and Vin really has no reason to be in contact with Yedin most of the mm-hmm. time. Like, their roles are very separate, so... Yeah, it's true. And Yedin doesn't have any missed abilities to teach her, so there's no reason for her to talk to him on that account. Yeah, he's just, uh, he's kind of a tertiary a character, I guess. Yeah, He's just that guy. That guy who was a huge jerk at the beginning and is coming around. I, I, I want to stop it. Hit on. I like Breeze talking about. Be warned, Hammond tends to be optimistic about these things. If the army was made up of one-legged mutes, he would praise their balance and their listening skills. Oh, I love that. That was such a good line. Breeze just loves digging into Ham, even when he's not there. It's fine. Marsh, and they're just gonna leave to leave it to Marsh to find out how to beat the Inquisitors. Like he'll figure it out. It's fine. Which yeah, I'm sure that'll work out. And this is where we they ask Sazed about the book that Vin found. And he's like, I thought it was something sort of ancient religious text, but it turns out that it is a journal penned by the Lord ruler or rather the man who would become the Lord ruler. The obvious hint is like he's, he's reading what we're reading in the epigraphs. Yeah. They're, they're definitely hinting at that hard because it's like, it's a record of his travels. And he specifically mentions that he puts in a lot of details about things like Pac-Man, which, Hey, we've heard of some Pac-Man. Yeah. So do you, do you think that's the case? I mean, are, are, are they trying to fake us out here, or is this actually what we've been reading? I think that that is the case of what's going on. There is something more to it, but I'll get to that um, when, we've, okay. uh, when we get to predictions. We're nearly there, so okay. I'll, yeah, I'll for sure. <laughs> I, I can't see any reason to put this in there if it's, if it's not relevant to those epigraphs. And they came here because they want to see if Vin is ready to go back to the parties. And she is very eager. But no more Alamancy unless Says says it's okay because she's still recovering. And then we get the uh, fashion section where Vin is examining different dresses and trying to decide which one to wear. Which, it's like, man, this was really low cut, but I don't have much to show off. And it's a very odd inclusion in this book to me, but <laughs> it's a character moment for Vin. But, I mean, it makes sense. Like, she's trying to look at it from, like, like her life is all about pointing out the practicality of mm-hmm. certain things. And, like, then this is her approaching that while also slowly learning. Like, you know what? I actually like this one. It's, like, a mix of her 
like her slowly changing her mind on how things work. Like she doesn't have to think of anything in terms of yeah, well this is good for this reason. This is good for this reason. This one I just like. Okay, we're 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 gonna make this fun because the very first sentence I think of the next chapter that nobody's read yet is which dress Vin picks. So as part of our predictions, everyone's got to guess which dress Vin is going to pick. So ah. what do we have here? We've got a yellow gown that seems a little too perky. We've got a white one that is too ornate. We've got a black one with silver embroiderings that she thinks matches her hair, but is perhaps too dark. And we have a red one with a low neckline and translucent mesh in some places that seems too blatant. So those are our four choices. Gary, lock in your answers when we get to that point. <laughs> and really, the, the, the big part of the end of this chapter is her conversation with Kelsier when she sees him on the balcony. And he's like, does the world look wrong to you? And she's like, what do we mean wrong? This is just the way the world is. He's like, I think your mindset is part of the wrongness. The world should not look like this. And to us, it makes complete sense when he shows her a picture of a flower and it's like, this is called a flower. The the rumors say that they used to smell good and sometimes maybe even grew into fruit, according to some crazy claims. <laughs> but Vin is just like, what are you smoking? <laughs> so I really like this moment. I thought it was just a nice touch. Like, sort of reminds you of, like, what plants aren't meant to be green. What the hell are you talking about <laughs> from way back? It's, it's a nice character moment for the two of them, and it leads very nicely into the discussion about Mare. And I feel like a lot of stuff about this world seems kind of earth-like like there's animals that we recognize and stuff and i think the author wants to remind us just occasionally it's like no no stuff is messed up here plants are yeah. weird and brown and the sky is like filled with ash and the sun is red don't forget these things so yeah every, like every, every like all the plant life is dead all the people are super depressed <laughs> there's creatures made out of corpses <laughs> um Mare, we find out, was a Tinai and was fascinated by pre-ascension times and collected things like this picture of a flower, introduced Kelsier to Sazed, and uh, he tells they, – they have this conversation, which she kind of had a smaller version of the same conversation with Sazed earlier, where she's like, Reen, my brother told me that everyone will betray you if given the chance. And Sazed is like, even if that was true, I wouldn't want to believe it. And that's what Kelsier says about Mare, more or less. It's like, look – if I had the choice between loving her, betrayal included, and never knowing her, I would choose love. And maybe it's dumb, but, you know, where were you happier, Vin? And we also find out, and, uh, you know, after this this heartfelt discussion about trust and love, uh, we get a little drop, a little factoid drop about how you get allomantic powers. You don't just have them from the time you're born. You have to snap, like Kelsier did in the pits the night after her corpse was taken away. The philosophers say a man cannot command the metals until he has seen death and rejected it. So, in case their whole lives weren't bad enough, you don't even get superpowers until something really messed up happens to you. Given how common the powers are like among the population, that means a lot of people have seen that happen. Yeah. Well, and given how valuable the powers are to have these awesome powers, you have to wonder, or at least it makes me wonder at this point, you know, the nobility know that they inherently may develop these powers. You think that they're willing to just wait and see if maybe it happens at some point? Or do they do something to try to make it happen? Speed up the process. 
and also like whose death caused it for Vin. Yeah. I I got the sense that or she snapped um, when her mother like tried to kill her, and so and she was so young at the time she didn't know like what happened. Yeah, I can see that. It was her own death that she saw and walked away from it. Hmm. Yeah, it's, and she wants to know too. She's like, "Well, when did it happen to me?" And he's like, "I don't know." Life you lived, there were lots of opportunities. And we find out that Kelsier's like, "I decided I wanted to see her dream fulfilled. I wanted to make a world where flowers returned with green plants and no soot." I know I'm crazy, and she's like, "No, actually, it finally kind of makes sense." And they have this moment where he's even like, "You know, Mare wanted a child, but I wanted to be the most famous." gothy of all time and didn't have time for it but now i kind of wish that i had one a daughter with her dark hair and resilient stubbornness hint hint (laughs) (laughs) can i adopt you also also, when we were first married a decade and a half ago which is about how old she is i found myself your dad (laughs) well i want to uh uh, there's something else from the oh there's there's two things from the annotations one i just like totally skipped over because we're running kind of long but uh um, we'll touch on the one that goes specifically here first part of this he says is because uh, part of the conversation that he puts in here is because his alpha readers felt like there was going to be a relationship here between kelsier and vin ah like a like a bat girl batman creepy yeah well and he even says he's like you can probably tell she has a little bit of like a hero worship crush on Kelsier, but I wanted to make it clear that that is not the kind of relationship that we were going to have here because not only is he a lot older than her and that would be gross, but uh, you know, uh, it's just, he doesn't see her that way. And so it's a lot of the alpha readers were going past this point, expecting that this we're shipping these two. And so he added something here to be like, no, 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 no. This is how he sees her. Like, God damn it, shippers. <laughs> and I hope that I, I hope that is not too much of a spoiler, that that was his intention there. Maybe it kind of is a spoiler, and I just spoiled for you. Maybe you all thought there was going to be a crazy romance between the two of them. But uh, that is not his intention here. And he wanted to make that clear with his think, daughter conversation. I think he did a pretty good job before this. With that, I feel like most of their conversations have been very like look i need you to trust me i want to be your friend and then like especially the parts where um where she's kind of following him wanting to be like him it's like to me it felt very father daughter not yeah not, uh, I, I agree not lovers yeah okay um but the other thing that i totally skipped over when we got there was during the conversation with the whole crew when everyone's sitting around and says just t- telling them about the journal thing he breeze asks a question and i'm trying to find it here and says responds by uh all right breeze asks how does this thing about the book help us and says says i'm not certain master ladrian however the understanding blah 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 this is one of the only times maybe the only time actually that we hear Breeze's last name is Ladrian. And he's one of the only people that we've seen that seems to get a last name. Well, I mean, and, like say, says in one of the previous chapters we did this episode, he calls clubs master Cladent. Cladent. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but this bit, 
and he puts it in the annotations because it doesn't really come up ever. Like it's kind of it's just kind of backstory that there's never really a good place for. But I found it really interesting, and I thought you guys might also. Ladrian is the name that Brees went by when he was growing up. He is actually the only one in the crew who is a full-blooded nobleman. None of the others know about that. Oh. That he's come to the underground from the opposite direction of everyone else, from the top down. But he let it slip when he was younger what his real last name was. And somebody in the Final Empire could theoretically connect him to one Lord Ladrian, who disappeared from noble society some number of years back. But he doesn't come out with it because he doesn't want to lose credibility and maybe even anger some people like Kelsier who just hate noblemen in general. That's fair. So there's but a fun Saze fact knows. about Breeze. Says has been around long enough to at least have heard this name, mm-hmm. which he, he specifies here that Breeze let it slip to a few people when he was younger, mostly on accident, that his real name is Ladrian. Uh, but I guess it's kind of... It's kind of interesting because we talked about where these nicknames come from, but in this case, it's not that everyone knew his name and gave Breeze a nickname. Breeze, like, took on this name more or less to hide what he was, and he just goes by Breeze. So, interesting backstory that I thought was cool about Breeze, that he is actually a nobleman who, I guess, things were going so badly for him that he's like, I'll just become part of, like, the ska underground. (laughs) Okay. Which is interesting that, when you're considering his personality is the guy who likes to just sit around and chill out all the time. If he's a nobleman, he's already got that life, but here he is trying to subvert it for the rest of the nobility. It's an yeah. interesting wrinkle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although it might explain why he is so much like that if he was brought up as a nobleman also. That's for sure. Uh, we ran long here because, well, it's four chapters, and like I said, there's lots of stuff in these chapters. So uh, anyone have any final thoughts on these before we start uh, into predictions? Nope. Okay. So, first off, the most important, the dress prediction. Which one is Vin going to pick? I got my money on red, and I'm probably horrifically wrong again. <laughs> yeah, I'd say red as well. I think she was, it, it certainly sounded like she was leaning more towards that one. Okay, two for red. Yeah, I'm I'm on the red bandwagon. I'm pretty sure that's the one she laid out on her bed, it says in the chapter. So to me, that means that is the selected one. Okay. So everyone's going for red. Interesting. We'll see next time if we're right. <laughs> Joe, since you're already gone, what what predictions do you have? Um, I predict that she's going to go to a ball. She's going to meet up with uh, the Venture guy again. Uh, things might get a little heated, like in a sexual way, not in a uh, like angry way. Or maybe both. I, you know, not, <laughs> I, I didn't know. By the way, they, they, did have, they did have like the little argumentative repartee. Right. Exactly. Playfully. Yeah. And, you know, Sace is going to be like, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. And Vince going to be like, I'm a teenager. I'm going to do what I want. Again. <laughs> You're not my real dad. <laughs> yes. Sazed. Kelsey is anyway. my dad. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. Yeah, so those, that's really my only prediction is that we're going to get to see some more uh, interaction between her and, and the heir to the Venture Throne. Okay. Who else wants to go? I'm going to go last. <laughs> <laughs> Just threw you under the bus, Jamie. Go ahead. Yeah, great. <laughs> Me, bus. Um, I don't, I don't really have anything. I had a pretty big prediction last week, so I think sort of adding to that about, you know, the Lord Ruler being able to see further into the future and with the Steel Inquisitors just knowing what they know, 
Um, I definitely think I'm willing to stick with that prediction that there's some kind of future reading power. Um, I think it's really interesting learning a little bit about Says that he's not not necessarily an allomancer, but he does use the metals. There are other powers regarding the metals out there that we don't know. So the Steel Inquisitors, you know, while they've got allomantic powers, there is definitely something else out there that that isn't allomancy. And again, not really a prediction, but the oh, I guess kind of a prediction. The prophecy, the terrorist prophecies. I would be really keen to read what they are because I think we're going to see another character who fulfills that prophecy, which is why uh, the terrorist I can't remember what his name was. He, he was so convinced that, I mean, we think is the Lord ruler in these journal entries that he was, he was sort of the chosen one. And then he's turned around and going, no, 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 it's not like, it's not this guy. We're wrong. I think there's someone else who's going to meet those, those qualities I think it's a bit obvious that it would be Kelsier at this point, but I don't think it will be Kelsier. Okay. Uh, but I don't know who it would be. So. so, Quan was his name, by the way. Quan. So do you think that when he turned around, it was because he realized that this guy didn't actually fit, maybe he found something about him that didn't fit the prophecies, or did Quan find someone else who did fit them better? Or, um, Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure which way it would go. Okay. Yeah. I have to think about that one. Pack, it's the end. You saved yourself a whole minute. What do you got? Right. Because uh, <laughs> I've, I've got a big one, and this is probably going to be like another total crackpot theory, but I... Um, so bear with me on this one. I think Kelsier is going to wind up being one of the ultimate villains of the piece. Ooh. Because uh, with all the stuff, I th- I'm pretty sure that the epigraphs are the Lord Ruler's journals, but I think the more and more I read it, the more and more I think they're being set out there to show the Lord Ruler was once a sympathetic person who did something wrong and then eventually wound up becoming, like we were talking about before, becoming the Dark Lord. And I feel like those epigraphs are there to parallel the fact that Kelsey is heading down a similar sort of path. The thing that really tipped me off to that was the whole, one of the epigraphs mentioned the friends I killed along the way. And then mm-hmm. when when he's talking to Doxon, he's talking about first Mayor, then Vin, like I said before. And I and that sort of made me think, oh, he's burying his friends too. Oh, hang on. And so and then I'm thinking about all the like the really dark periods where Kelsey has seemed really heartless uh, before, you know, like killing all the guys. And it's like, well, you know, they're they're Scar who sided with the nobility. They deserve to die. And I just feel like Kelsey is on a slippery slope. Everyone's already talking about how he's sort of insane. I feel like. He probably is going to upend the Lord Ruler, and then they're going to find out he's like once he gets it, that power is just going to drive him just as mad. Mm. And and then and then Vin's going to be like, I have to take down my father figure. Interesting, very Star Wars. So yeah, I mean, do do we think do we think that he's going to like off the Lord Ruler, and then if we actually think there's like deepness stuff inside of him? It will- like move into Kelsier or is it more of just like a he'll get this power and not be able to give it up because power corrupts well I think everyone's building him up as this total hero so I think like mm-hmm. he's gonna bring down the Lord Ruler and people you know and people will, will go well you're the one who brought who killed God so like you're gonna have to bear at least some of the responsibility of keeping everyone safe in the aftermath and um, I think, yeah, I do think the deepness has corrupted um, the Lord Ruler, and I think that will probably take an effect on Kelsier as well. And yeah, like 
I, I'm not entirely certain as how it's all going to go down, but I feel like that is the path he's on, and it's going to fall to Vin to try and sort it all out and sort it all out in such a way that it doesn't come back onto her. Interesting. That 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 is a very new theory for us. I like the way that you're thinking. Yeah, it's, it just in... sort of clicked in the last couple of chapters. It's like, oh, hang on. This guy's getting darker than we all thought, yeah. and I don't think it's going to go well. He's definitely been showing some darkness in there for a while. But it really did kind of come out a little bit here. I agree with you. I find it interesting that last week Joe had a theory, not during theory section because it was so insane, according to him, that Sazed was going to end up betraying the group. And now your theory involves like Kelsier becoming the bad guy and the group having to fight against him. And we've heard repeatedly from Vin this whole book, this this recurring thing where Reen is like, anybody will betray you. And she's learning through working with this crew that maybe that's not true. But if either of those things happens, it's like, holy shit, Reen was right all along. Anybody will betray you. But there's also the fact that like if it does wind up being Kelsier, as I think, then it's not so much the fact that he betrayed them just out of personal gain, like most yeah. people Rain was talking about. He like he's done the wrong thing while trying to do the right thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I got you. Okay, that's that's a pretty cool one. What, swinging for the park on now this that one. <laughs> now that I've mentioned it, though, Joe, do you still think do you still have your your theory already that says it's, it's going to turn out to be bad based on uh, whatever else we've learned? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I feel like uh, some of the things we've learned in these last four chapters may have not given credence to that theory. I like Dax's theory, and I think it fits in nicely with my. Uh, theory that the deepness is actually what's controlling the Lord Ruler and making him evil. And it also fits well with my theory that Vin may be like the actual chosen one to defeat the deepness and mm -hmm. bring balance to the force or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I really like where all our theories are going. I feel like they could commingle mesh uh, in in any number of ways, so. Yeah, none of them really contradict each other. Okay. Cool. Okay, let's get into... We have a couple things that I wanted to read that we got sent. I got... Uh, the, the Sander Lanch page got some messages from Kate, who said, I adore you guys. Can't wait to hear more. Sanderson has been my favorite author for about 10 years, and I've always wished I could read everything for the first time again. I love hearing your theories and ideas. Please keep up all the wonderful work. And then... She followed that up with, this is my beat-up, but very loved copy. She sent me a picture of this beat-up copy of The Final Empire. The last time I met with him, we played Magic, and which I told you guys before, Brandon Sanderson, very into Magic the Gathering. Uh, and I told him a bit about my life and thanked him for inspiring me through some very suicidal times. This was his response and agreeing to sign my ankle so that I could get his tattoo autograph, or his autograph tattooed. I can read. Oh, wow. And uh, so her book is signed, and then in quotes uh, is... I am hope, which um, is a statement that comes up at some point. I, don't even, uh, I was going to say that, 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 that's a quote from later in the book, isn't it? Yeah, I almost didn't read it because it's it, it's kind of a spoiler because it's from later, but it's you know it, it's just a short sentence, so I think it's okay. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so that's uh, that's what she sent us, and uh, I replied, and she also it, when she replied back to me, she's like, "You guys do a great job keeping back background noise out." Uh, which will be interesting this episode with the ice cream truck. We'll see if that works out. <laughs> so, 
Well, I mean, we, we have to constantly uh, deal with a, a cat yelling on one side of the door because she wants to go to the other side of the door, so... Cats are like that, yep. 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 I'm lucky if my cat doesn't jump up and try to knock off the microphone while I'm in the middle of recording, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, and then we received an email from Angela, who was the first person who emailed us. She sent us another email. It says, hello, I'm still enjoying the podcast. The theories are the highlight of the show. You're all very creative. But she has some comments based on the conversation that we had where about Breeze and Alimantic Powers when we read him when they're trying to recruit people. She says, I wanted to throw out a point about the soothing and rioting that Breeze orchestrates during Kel's speech. I tried to find in my book how many people are in attendance, and it didn't specify that I could find. However, the book describes the group as a large crowd. Later in the chapter, Bree says they only get about 20 men from each meeting. If Bree's powers were really forcing people into joining something they didn't believe in, wouldn't most, if not all, of the people end up joining the rebellion? I'm not saying that Bree's moral compass should be used by everyone, but if soothing and rioting could take someone who is completely unwilling to put their life online and force them to die in an unwanted war, it would be much easier to recruit volunteers. The other thing I wanted to point out is that Bree should be very careful not to recruit people who don't actually want to join. This isn't overtly stated in the text, but imagine that Breeze forces thousands of people who are not committed to the cause to join the effort. How is this supposed to form a formidable army to take Luthadel? We know that the effects of Breeze's alamancy fade over time. They need huge numbers, but the people they recruit can't just be a random group. They have to have some kind of commitment. I would like to stress again, I don't love what Breeze is doing. It feels icky and manipulative wrapped up in an organized flippant package to disguise morally gray ground. However, I think we may be giving him a little bit too much credit in what he can or would want to force people to do. So That's what do you guys one. think of that? Um, well, I agree with certain points that she's making. I feel like Breeze also makes it very clear. It's like I want them to remember a feeling that I am pushing on them later. And so I feel like he is a master of not only making people feel a certain way in the moment, but also being able to make them continue to feel that feeling later. Um, now, she has a point. When they leave Breeze and they go and they train in these caves, obviously it takes a great amount of willpower of their own to want to continue to be in the army when they're not around soothers. But I still think his power is pretty formidable. Makes sense. I don't know. What do you think, Jane? You were the one who first even brought up, like, hey, this is kind of shady. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, she, she's got a point that they're not getting they're not getting massive amounts of turnaround on their on their efforts. So, I mean, how many people are in the room? If you've got a hundred people in there, there's twenty percent who are willing to join. You know, without this, would that same 20% have been willing to join or would they have had mm -hmm. no one? Um, yeah, uh, it is It is an interesting point. Like, are we giving Are we giving him more credit than he's due? I still, I still think it's – I mean, if it wasn't having an effect at all, they wouldn't do it. So there is definitely something that they're getting more people than what they would have normally. Yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah, they are free to make their own choices and stuff, but they're 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 creating feelings and you know sense of of pride and and loyalty and wanting to stand up for what they believe in, but they still wouldn't necessarily have felt that before. Yeah. So I know that they have a a, a need to do it. I still don't agree with it, but I mean, how much do we agree with in war anyway? <laughs> well, so. Yeah. 
It's I, like, I, she's right. He's not just sitting there forcing a whole bunch of people who don't want to be involved to do it. But it's still, it is still giving that, that nudge. And, you know, how do you know, how do you know what they would have done without that? You don't know. Right. And I, I like your point that it's like, well, even if, if he convinces like five people who wouldn't have done it otherwise do it based on his power, he still must be having an effect or what's the point of having him there in the first place? Like they wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't making a difference between people who wouldn't have done it otherwise and people who are now doing it because of what he did, which I, I it really seems like that's the bottom line to me is like, clearly it's, it's making a difference. People who would not have gone are now going and maybe it's a small difference. Maybe it's big. There's no way to really tell because they have him doing it. I mean, if you were, if you were very, very strongly opposed to it, I don't think he would be able to force you to go. But if you were sitting on the fence, maybe you'd, you'd just be pushed into that direction and, and that's how they're getting more people. So. Right. He, he's, he's going around pushing people off of fences. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So yeah. He's just, just shoving people <laughs> off fences. That's how I broke my arm, in case anyone wants to know. I fell off a fence. Anyway. <laughs> yep. That's true. I was there. Yeah. Fun, fun times. Okay. We've, I've, I've, we, this is going to be probably our longest episode ever, which I will try to take into account when we're talking about doing a bunch of chapters in the future. It, it was the same amount of text, but we went pretty long. So thank I'll just, you, Kate and Angela. For yes. Your emails. Thank you. If anyone else wants to send us stuff, yes. once again, the Sanderlanch at gmail.com. Go to the Facebook page, leave messages, send messages, tweet us at the Sanderlanch. All sorts of ways to contact us. Please do. We love having stuff to inspire more discussion. Just hearing nice things said about us. I always like hearing nice things said about me. If you can say mean things if you want. Uh, I'll, I'll cry about it later. It's fine. Just, oh, uh, say mean um, things about I, I me. Like the, uh, I love that. <laughs> I, I, I like that your theories are very creative. I'm just like, that's a nice way of saying entertainingly wrong. <laughs> well, isn't that really... When you get down to it, isn't that the point? Aren't we trying to entertain them with your wrongness? Oh, absolutely. Why do you think yeah. I found like, the volcano thing for so long? <laughs> uh, but please, please send us stuff. Just any interaction with our audience. We love. It's fun. It's great for us to just know that people out there are listening and enjoying. Love it. Uh, next week, we will be back to two chapters. We are reading chapters 18 and 19 of The Final Empire. We haven't switched books. It's still The Final Empire, just in case you are wondering. Uh, so please, come back. Listen to the next you really one. Think someone's made that mistake? No, I really doubt it. That's why it was a joke. <laughs> Although it, it just like, would be funny. This, if was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> I picked up the next one and went to chapter 17, and you didn't talk about it. No. But uh, uh, music by Miracle of Sound. I always have to remember to throw that in because uh, they're so awesome. And uh, I think that's it. We will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Bring up the brother in me. I'm searching for unity. Everything.